0: as we get to the point. Grab your Bible and go with me to Hebrews chapter 12. Brother Doug read this for us just a minute ago. Uh, We're back in uh, our series of Hebrews. We'll finish that up here in just a few weeks, but we've got a great section of exhortation going on. Exhortation meaning we're in this race of life, and we're getting encouragement. We're getting cheered on, and today we're looking at something else that happens in this race of life, it's when the Lord brings discipline. You read it. He read it on the screen. The Lord loves us, so therefore, he disciplines us. You and I are living in a Western culture today that is really groaning and struggling with boundaries and discipline. It's not age-specific. Please hear me, middle-aged, upper age adults. Let's be very careful about saying those young people, those millennials, those generation Zers. no, no, this is not age-specific. We live in a culture today where many people despise being told no, being told you can't do that. And certainly, there are moments in life when we need to hear yes as a positive tone, but but I'm afraid maybe we live in a day today where we're so confused about right and wrong and yeses and nos. I mean, we have, we have leaders, uh, governmental leaders that are saying yes to things that they should be saying no to. If you need an illustration of that, it's abortion. Saying yes to this when they should be saying no. At other times, they're saying no to things that they should be saying yes, and unfortunately, that same thought process has crept into the church of Jesus Christ. The problem we have today with our yeses and nos, I believe, is that we have lost our fear and reverence of God. We've lost our fear of our creator, to which we are responsible. That teaches us, he is the the creator of all things, he's the creator of every human being, And so because we reverence him and love him, we reverence and love one another because that's the way God intended for it to be. I watched in horror the other day as two teenage girls in New York City, I believe they were 13 and 15, went up to an Uber driver, a Pakistani immigrant who was trying to provide for his family, and he was driving Uber to make money for that. And and these two teenage girls raced up and jumped in his car to steal it from him. And he jumped and grabbed a hold of the steering wheel, was trying to not let them have his car, and they raced off anyway. And and he held on to the steering wheel and they dragged him down for a couple of blocks and and the car wrecked and it flipped a few times. And this man is laying on the sidewalk, deceased. His life is snuffed out because of this senselessness and nonsense. And and these girls begin to climb out of the car and And one of them walked over, and she was not worried about the man laying on the sidewalk. She was worried about where her cell phone was. As I watched that, my heart grieved. Big picture. Because it's easy just to get mad and and think about, why did they do that? And why did they happen? And and your mind begins to think, where were their parents? Were they never trained about what's right and wrong? How can you have a heart that is so cold toward life, toward a human being? You think about training, and you think, how do you get it to a point in your life where where you think that's a good idea? And I'll be honest, I begin to think in my mind, have they never had moments of being told, this is right, this is wrong, this is a yes, and this is a no? Did they not experience training in their lives about what's right and what's wrong? I've had many conversations in my Christian life with other Christians about, can we do this? Can we do that? How many of you have been in those conversations before, right? B- because in the Bible, there are certain things that are just black and white. I mean, it's spelled out. It's right there as clear as it can be. But then we have these tertiary issues, these secondary issues where we believe there's liberty. And, and here's what I found. I found that some Christians, they like to live over here on the edge, you know, get as close as they can. While other Christians like to stay over here, and maybe over here that might be a little bit of legalism, I don't know, but get way over here, away from the edge. Here's what I know. No matter where you're at on that spectrum, we are all in the middle of spiritual warfare. We are in a battle every single day, and that battle is our flesh and the spirit. Will we walk in the spirit and not fulfill the lust of our flesh? How many want to raise your hand right now as a testimony that your flesh does not like to be told no? Yeah, maybe we should just stop right here and have an altar call because that's the world we live in. We're in this battle every day. Wouldn't it be just like God to say we all need some boundaries? We all need some disciplines. We need some guidelines, some fencing, if you will, in which we should live, because if we didn't have that, we would be reckless and out of control. I was reading N.T. Wright the other day, and he was talking about discipline, and he said this about children, and let's see if you echo this a little bit. Spoiled children on the one hand and ignored children on the other are a menace and a nuisance to everyone else. Anybody brave enough to say amen right there? No, he's just saying spoiled children. Children left to themselves. They end up being a bother, a trouble. And there's biblical principle for that. Let me keep going. And are unlikely to grow up as happy, well-rounded characters able to sustain a normal adult life. Clearly, some kind of discipline as one aspect of genuine love and care is vital. Discipline is necessary. And discipline does not have to be just out of anger, out of a reaction, or to hurt someone for what they have done, but rather there is a discipline that comes that is needed and it is done out of love. This is biblical. Proverbs chapter 13 and verse number 24 reminds us that if a father withholds the rod from his son, he hates him. So if you think it's loving, not to bring correction and discipline in the life of a child, you're wrong. You're an undiscipled believer. How about this on Mother's Day? Proverbs chapter 29 and verse number 15, it says that the rod and reproof are given to bring wisdom in the life of a child. And then it says, a child left to himself will bring shame to his mother. So discipline is important. It's important in the familial setting, in families. Uh, It's important in our relationship with God, our Father, our Creator. Now the word discipline simply means to teach or to instruct. It does not always mean uh, that you're you're getting grounded or you're getting uh, the keys taken away or, or something else. The word, the root word of discipline is disciple, right? So these guys were up here a while ago talking about discipleship. They said it over and over again. It's about developing disciplines through teaching and through instruction. We see that in Acts chapter 22 and verse number three. We see it in Titus chapter two and verse number 11 where it says that the grace of God teaches us that denying ungodliness and worldly lust, we should live soberly, righteously, and godly in this present world. That word teaching there is the same Greek word as discipline in Hebrews chapter 12 verses 4 through 13. So here's what we typically think of though about discipline. We think that it is a correction or a punishment and sometimes that certainly is the case. Now, let me just for a minute talk about that, discipline and punishment, and I'll say more about this throughout my message, but many times we have a view of God that is correlated to maybe our family setting in the way that we've grown up. I learned this many years ago, that many people have a view of God that correlates to the relationship maybe they they had with their father. And let me pause for just a minute and say that my heart goes out to anyone in this room that was abused when you were growing up. And it's true, it's true. Some of you have that hurt. You were abused physically, you were abused sexually, you were abused mentally, you were abused verbally. You were not corrected or disciplined in a godly manner but you were disciplined out of anger. And sometimes that thing went haywire and it got out of hand and it went over the line. And let me say to you that my heart goes out to you. And I want to be very clear today that when we talk about discipline, we are not talking about abuse. Abuse is not okay. Abuse is not from God. As a matter of fact, I'm going to show you in just a minute that the correction, the loving correction that God brings to us in our life, it is for our good It's to help us. You were not helped when you were abused as a child. So my heart goes out to you. If you need some help or counseling with that, please let us know. We'd love to help you in any way that we can. What that leads to, though, is this there are many people that have a view of God like this. You got a flat tire on the side of the road, you automatically think God is mad at you for something you did. Okay? It doesn't have anything to do with the fact that your neighbor just got a new roof and the roofing guys accidentally let a couple tacks lo- uh, you know, loose in the road and you just accidentally ran over it. No, in your mind, you automatically think, oh, this is, bad. this is my car's broke down, so God's mad at me about something, okay? That is a very unhealthy view of God. Oh, please hear me today, Christian. Please hear me, please hear me child of God, God loves you. He is pleased with you. There is nothing you can do today, not one thing you can do today, that will cause God your Father to love you more. And there's not one thing you could do today that will cause him to love you less. He loves you. His plans for you are good. His plans are for you to be well and to prosper. Look at this quote up on the screen by Craig Letch. He said this about the discipline of the Lord. He said, his plans concerning his people are always thoughts of good, of blessing, even if he is obliged to use the rod. It is a rod, not of wrath. I need to stop right there. The wrath of God is reserved for sinners. God's going to pour his wrath out on this earth God is going to bring judgment to the person who does not believe John three and verse 36 says the wrath of God abides upon him upon her if you if you are living in the sin of unbelief if you reject Christ as your lord and savior then wrath abides upon you how many of you today have been saved by God's grace wave at me come on wave at me not of your own merits not of your own good but because the Holy Spirit showed you that you needed a Savior, you acknowledged that, you believed, and you confessed, and you received, I'm glad to remind you today that the wrath of God does not even exist in your life. God's not going to pour his wrath out on you, child of God. His wrath is reserved for judgment and the lost, but the father's rod of chastisement for their temporal and eternal welfare. There is not a single item of evil in his plans for his people. Man, I love that. Let that bless your heart right now. His plans for you are good, but that does not mean he's not going to bring discipline and correction along the way. Let me say one more thing about that. You remember John chapter 9, When Jesus and his disciples are walking along the way, and over to the side there's a blind man. This man can't see. And the disciples say to Jesus, Jesus, he's in this condition. Is he this way because his parents are sinners or because he's a sinner? Now, how many of you know it's easy to fall into that trap? Everything that's bad, you get sick, you get cancer. Uh, you go through some kind of disaster, or troubled time in your life, it, you, you got to be careful and not say, well, well, that happened because of sin. I love Jesus' response, John chapter nine, verse number three. It was not that this man sinned or his parents. Jesus said, hey, whoa, 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 let's set this over to the side. There are some afflictions, hardships that come in our lives, and it's not a result of a punishment or a correction, but there are some things that happen that the works of God might be displayed in him. Isn't that comforting to know that God's at work, he's doing his will, his purposes, his plan, and he loves us. It's for his glory and for our good. Now, look at, looking 4 through 13, and I'm gonna move fast, so I need your best ears, all right? I just want to point out three things in a message that I entitled today, When No is Better Than Yes. (laughs) When no is better than yes. Number one, here it is, tough times are part of the Christian life. May we never, may we never be guilty or imply To anyone that comes to Christ, if you come to Jesus, man, all your problems are gonna go away. You're never gonna struggle. You're never gonna have any bad days. Your air conditioning at your home's never gonna go out. You're always gonna have a nice car. Anybody tracking with me? May we never present a gospel like that because because tough times are just a part of the Christian life. Look at verse number four. The writer here says, in your struggle against sin, you have not resisted to the point of shedding your blood. Now, you may not remember this. Just leave that verse up there, Brother Charlie. You may not remember this, but in chapter 12, verses one through three, I showed you that he was given the analogy of running the race. Remember, lay aside the weight and the sin which holds us back. Let us run with patience the race that's set before us. In verse number four, he shifts from running a race to a boxing match because that word struggle there, it literally means to agonize or to fight. Anybody felt that way in your, your flesh lately with sin in your life? It's a fight. It's a battle. I guess y'all are more spiritual than me. It's just a struggle, right? It's a, it's, it's a battle every day. It's easy to read this verse and to think that The writer here is talking about the struggle of sin among the body, in that you and I are struggling with our sin, but that is not what he's talking about here. There's sin in the body, in the community, but there's also evil sin outside the body that comes against the church. Anybody been feeling that lately? Anybody been feeling a little bit of that tension? Two or, three, two or three of my pastor brothers I read about this week have been arrested for preaching the gospel, for being outside preaching in a public manner in Canada. Church is closed. Oh no, no, no. you know what I'm talking about. The evils out there coming against the church. In the context of Hebrews 12.4, I remind you, they're just a few short years before the persecution of Nero. And it's not like, Persecution has not already started because if you go back to verse number three, he says, of course, end of verse four, you've, you're not struggling to the point where you're bleeding. That points back to verse number three where the writer said, consider him, consider Jesus who has endured so much hostility. We just took communion a minute ago to remember the hostility that Jesus took for us, right? Right? the persecution, the suffering. Let me ask you, did Jesus have to go to the point of shedding his blood? So he's saying to these believers, now wait a minute, you're troubled, you're in a struggle, but the struggle you're in is not nearly as bad as the struggle others have been in and will be in. That's a word for somebody in the room today. You you, you think you got a problem, and I don't want to minimize your problem, but always remember there's somebody else going through something worse than you are. And he says you're struggling but but you've not gone through what Peter went through in Acts chapter 6 and 7. If you go to Israel with us next year just below the Eastern Gate down in the Kidron Valley, Mount of Olives is here, Kidron Valley's here, Eastern Gate is here. There's a little church standing there that is the church to remember Stephen, the first martyr of the Christian church. 2,000 years later, systematically, one by one, even today, there are Christians around the world that are shedding their fresh, rich blood because they believe in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. I have to ask the question today as the church in the Western culture, are we ready for that? Are we ready for that? Are we to a point in our walk, to a point in our faith, to struggle for our Lord. Because friends, tough times are a part of the Christian life. We're not going to avoid it. And when tough times come in our life, it's natural for us to stop and say, God, why? Why am I going through this? Maybe God is bringing correction and judgment in our life. Maybe, maybe he is but maybe not. Maybe he's just bringing us through a struggle to get us ready for a greater struggle that's coming down the road. Again, the context here is persecution against the Christian church. I need to add one more thing here. We had all better be very careful peeking over the fence into our brother and our sister's life when they're going through a hard time and they're struggling. We better be careful and not say, well, they deserve that. Or, or let, me, let me tell you why. Oh, don't we get real pious and spiritual sometimes? Well, let me tell you why they're going through that. They're going through that because they've not been faithful to church. Or they're going through, hey, how many of you know that, uh, that uh, Old Testament verse that says what goes around comes around? It's not an Old Testament verse. Y'all are supposed to laugh. Laugh, David. When you're going through it, When you're going through it, do you want to be like Job and have everybody else psychoanalyzing you? Well, none of us know the ways of God. We don't know why God does what he does. But here's what we do know it's common among all of us that tough times are a part of the Christian life. The second thing I want you to see in this text is that sometimes the Lord initiates the tough times for our good. Anybody in the room that would just go ahead and confess, probably should have done this before communion, but you would confess right now that you've been pretty good at creating your own mess. You've been really good at creating your own trouble. Well, sometimes we go through trouble and hardship and questions because God... Initiates it in our lives. That's what's happening here in verse number four. And as they're struggling, the writer says in verse number five, "And have you forgotten the exhortation that addresses you as sons?" Now that seems like a little simple question there, but there's a lot to unpack. Anybody ever been in a situation, going through a moment, a problem, and your your eyes are totally focused on the problem? and you're focused through a human lens and not a spiritual lens, and the word of God has already spoken to your situation, but you're not focused on the word of God, you're focused on the situation. That's what happened here. The writer is saying, you're in the middle of your struggle, your trouble, and you've forgotten what the scripture says. You've forgotten a word of exhortation that first of all, reminds you that you are a son. What a privilege. You notice in this text, status over and over again. The status. You're not an illegitimate child. You're a son. You have a father. Can we rejoice for just a minute that we are sons and daughters of God? That we know our father. And the only way that happened was through Jesus. You've forgotten the exhortation. There it is, that encouragement, pushing forward that only comes to sons. You're only going to be able to process the struggle that you're in when you look at it through the lens of a son. Look at verse number six. It's a quote from Proverbs chapter three, verses 11 and 12. For the Lord disciplines the ones he loves. And he brings chastisement on every son in whom he receives. Now again, discipline, instruction, also means correction, punishment. But notice that word chastisement. That word there means to get a whooping. (laughs) It It literally means to whip, to flog, to scourge. The Lord loves you so much that he's going to bring discipline in your life. I missed, I missed actually the first part of that. My son, do not regard lightly the discipline of the Lord, nor be weary when reproved by him. When you're convicted, when you're exposed, when he brings discipline, when he brings chastisement, I didn't listen. When I received correction from my father, I thought he had lost his mind when he said to me, son, you don't understand, but this hurts me worse than it hurts you. I'll say more about that in just a minute. That correction is for our good. It's done, the right kind of discipline is done out of love. Keep reading with me. Verse seven, it is for discipline that you have to endure. We, we keep seeing this theme, enduring to the end. Stay after it. Stay faithful to the Lord. If you're going to do that, then you've got to develop spiritual discipline. God is treating you as sons. For what son is there whom his father does not discipline? If you're left without discipline in which all have participated, look at me, child of God, this thing of discipline we're talking about is, is not just for all of God's really bad kids. This thing of discipline is for all of us that our father is an equal opportunity offender. He's gonna discipline his children with love and grace. He's gonna discipline us all the same. And then if, in verse number eight, if you're not experience it, the writer says here, if you're left without discipline in which all have participated, then you are illegitimate children and not sons. So in other words, if you receive the discipline of the Father, you have a privileged status in that he loves you and his wrath is not upon you. Somebody ought to just jump a pew and shout right there. He loves you, therefore he disciplines you. If he doesn't discipline you, you need to be shaking in your boots right now because you're not a son of God. Verse number nine, besides this, we have had earthly fathers who disciplined us and we respected them. Shall we not much more be subject to the father of spirits, notice small s there, our spirit, and live? For they disciplined us for a short time as it seemed best to them. But he, the father, disciplines us for our good, that we may share his holiness. For the moment of all discipline seems painful rather than pleasant. But later, it yields the peaceful fruit of righteousness to those who have been trained by it. I want you to circle two, or leave that verse up there. I want you to circle two words in this verse, all right? The first word I want you to circle is the word seems, it feels this way. Anybody know that your feelings can get you in trouble? That's why, that's why sometimes you feel like God is mad at you. You feel like the, refriger- the refrigerator quit working because you ain't read your Bible in a week. Y'all know what I'm talking about. Don't look at me like that. Your mind automatically, tr- it seems, this is what you're thinking. The next word I want you to circle is to those who have been trained by it. You know what that word trained there is in the original language? It's the word we get for gymnasium. It's the place you work out, or it's the place I go to watch people work out. What do you do at the gymnasium? This is so good. This is so good in your spiritual life. You need to have some tension in your muscles in order for them to grow. There needs to be some stress. There needs to be some pain. That's why your your coach always yelled, no pain, no gain, right? You just don't approach things haphazardly and and blase and become a champion. It's got to hurt. You've got to go through some tough times. Uh, One writer called this, this section here the paradox of pain, that good things come out of pain, that God is working things for his good, for his glory, and that's exactly what discipline is all about. Speaking about family discipline, he talked there. He said, What father doesn't discipline his son? And let me just say, it's not my job to tell you what form of discipline works in your house or you should use or not use. It is my job biblically to say, If you don't have any discipline in your home, parents, you are not doing your children right. Whew, that was a weak amen. I'm telling you, it's biblical. It's biblical. You train. You give guidance. You give boundaries. I promise you we had those at 5604 Avenue P with Melvin Earl Coleman, Sr. That's my dad. And my mom is right over here. He was a lot tougher than her. She came with a hairbrush. He came with other things. Every year, my mom and dad used to go, uh, they would go with some couples. It was kind of an annual event. They would go to Gatlinburg, Tennessee at the time of the changing of the leaves, and they'd go up there for three or four days and leave us at home with our grandparents. And there was something that my dad would do on this trip. There was some place there in Gatlinburg, my mom can probably tell you, that my dad would go, and it was the place where he would purchase a new paddle for our home. and what was printed on that paddle is still etched in my mind. Maybe etched other places too, I don't know. But I can still see looking at that little paddle and and the words on there written in black with some glowing red shade around it, the words, heat for the seat. My mom remembers that. I know this is hard for you to believe, hard for you to believe, but as a child, I got in trouble. And my daddy would feel the spirit leading to apply the Board of Education to the seat of learning. And on the back of that paddle, my bro- I had three brothers, and our three names were on there, and we just kind of keep a tally mark, you know, of who got a lick throughout the year. And then by the next year when it came around, you know, we'd get a new paddle. And thank goodness on my part, we got to start over because I always won that competition, you know, on the tally marks. But I was being a knucklehead when I was a kid, and my mom will tell you this story. They reminded me of it many times as an adult. My dad was having a hard time disciplining me and getting my attention, and so one day we go to the house, and he's gonna discipline me, and my dad looks at me and he says, Tim, you know what? I'm not gonna paddle you today. He said, I, I, I failed you as a father, I've not been a good dad. I've tried. But obviously, I'm not doing a good job. That's why you keep getting in trouble at school and on and on and on. And my dad said, so today, I'm going to let you give me a paddle. And I broke down. My mom will verify this. I broke down and just melted like a popsicle. And apparently, they tell me it was a little bit of a turning point in my life when I I just could not, I guess, fathom my dad asking me to do that and how that would break my heart and be disrespectful to him as my father. i tell you that little story to say several years ago, my dad passed away from cancer, and a few weeks before he passed away, we were sitting there talking about that very story, and I looked over at my dad, and I said, you know what? If I would have known then what I know now, I would have taken that paddle. I would have crossed your eyes and lit you up like a Christmas tree, Right? <laughs> of course, he thought that was funny. I give you that story to say the Word of God is very clear that we need discipline in our lives. Children need discipline. Young people need discipline, and we ought to pray over that and seek the Lord and and say, Lord, what, what, what does my child need, and how should I lead them and guide them and discipline them? And then as we get older, we should understand that our Father treats us the same way and that he brings that discipline into our lives for his good to get us where he wants us to be. And the writer here says, when you're in that moment of discipline, it's painful and it hurts and and we cry. There's nothing wrong with crying out to our Father and saying, God, it hurts, God, it hurts. But the end of verse 11 says that God brings that into our lives to bear fruit, to bear fruit. There's this thing in our lives happening called sanctification. When you get saved, you're positionally sanctified. You're made holy in Christ. You're given the imputed righteousness of Christ. But then there's something else that happens for us in our journey called sanctification progressive sanctification. It's, it's why the old timers used to sing, I want to be more like Jesus. That means that you're growing in your faith, and you're understanding more and more how much you need Jesus in your life, that you need to fill your life up with Jesus and get the world out. But when we let the world in, our loving Father brings some correction, course correction, and he gets us back where we need to be so that we can bear fruit in the Christian life. Let me finish verse 12 and 13. Last thing, the last thing. We need to press on and finish our race. Press on. Now, Tim, what does that have to do with that text? I'll tell you. Verses 12 through 13 is a section about running the race and about endurance, okay? And so we're running the race, we lay aside the weight, we lay aside the sin when we get off course, God's going to bring us back. We also need to understand that, that just because affliction comes into our life, it doesn't mean that God's mad at us. God is allowing it to happen. Let me be very clear here. God is not the author of sin, and God does not create evil, but he uses sin and evil in our lives. We see that in the life of joseph as he's reunited with his brothers and and as they have that reunion they're getting things right joseph looks at them and says you meant it to me for evil you meant it to me for harm but god meant it for good in other words god is at work even through that and so this this picture here's running the race and we're going to get we're going to get in trouble we're going to have bad days and good days and we're going to get correction But verses 12 and 13 say this, that when you're weary and when you're tired, when when your hands are drooping and your knees are weak, keep running. Keep running. Anybody in the room today that you kind of walked in here tired? Anybody? Anybody in here feel a little bit weary in your soul? Maybe a little bit dry? you're tired. You know, in this race of life, when the hard times come and even the discipline comes, you got to decide what you're going to do with that. The writer here says, make make straight the path that your feet are on. Make straight. Walk straight. I sent a a video this week to Nate McDaniel, the coach at Alberta High School. I saw on Twitter, it it was a football game, a spring football game, and quarterback took the football, and he tossed it back to the running back, and the running back just started running all over the place, trying to get rid, trying to get away from everybody, all right, and they're up at like the 45-yard line, and he's over here, and over there, and over here, and he's gonna circle back over here, and finally, he gets tackled back at the three-yard line, loses like 40 yards on the play, right, and everybody that coaches football says, hey, run power straight ahead, right, upfield, not side to side, go this way. And that's what the writer's saying here in your Christian life. Quit going side to side and just stay straight. Know that God's sovereign. He's in control. You're tired. You're weary. But here's what God wants to do for us. This is so good as I close. What God wants to do for us is he wants to heal and to make well what is lame. You see that word lame there? lame, that which is broken, that which is crippled. God wants to make it well. On Thursday afternoon, I went to Hillcrest Baptist Church. I was invited over there to be a part of a wonderful ministry. They have a counseling ministry they've started in their church, and they're training up Christian counselors, and I'm starting my training. Like right now, i uh, going through an organized training uh, with a counseling organization, and I was sitting there listening to them, and, and uh, what they've called this ministry in their church is they've called it soul care, soul care. I love that. I love that. How many of you found in your Christian life, you need some soul care? At times, you're just not well. I'm telling you, man, I'm gonna, I'll be the first to be at the altar right now. I need soul care, <laughs> right? You get weary. You get tired. You get frustrated. You feel beat down. There are people in this room right now who are going through affliction, you're going through hardship. You're tired, you're weary. And you know what? When you're going through that, you can do one of two things. Number one, you can throw your hands up, you can throw the towel in, and you say, You can say, I can't take it anymore. I'm done. Sometimes you're you feel like you're loving God and you're serving the Lord and you're doing the best that you can, and humanly speaking, you just get a straight-up gut punch. Anybody want to raise both hands to that? On top of that, the world is, is just, it's fluctuating, and it's beating on us, and we got our family issues and life issues, and sometimes we feel crooked, we feel broken, we feel lame. The writer here reminds them that when you're going through that, Christian, it's not time to quit. It's not time to throw in the towel. When you're going through discipline, it's not time. It's not time to quit. It's not time to run away. The second option that we have is this. We can let this moment and this discipline intensify our love for Christ and our walk with the Lord. There are people all over this room right now that could testify they went through discipline or they went through affliction. They went through a hard time, and God used it to grow them and to bring them to a place of greater joy, a place of greater joy. I'll never forget this. This is not in my notes. It's not planned, but it just came to my mind. Years ago, I was at the Grand Canyon, Misty and I, and we were standing there uh, we were just about to go into the to the rim there and there was a theater there to the left we went in and watched this movie about the exploration of the grand canyon and i'll never forget that i'll never forget it it's etched in my mind the story was about some explorers some explorers that wanted to discover the colorado river down in the bottom of the canyon and uh, it, uh, it it kind of documented their journey and how they set everything up and how they had their cargo and their boats and so forth and i don't remember all the details but this is what i do remember they got to a certain point and they were exhausted and they were frustrated and they were tired of getting capsized and losing cargo and it was just frustrating they were to the point of complete exhaustion and there were 3 of the guys in that group that told the rest we're done we're not getting back in that boat and they took off walking down in the bottom of the Grand Canyon, and they were never found. nobody, Nobody knows to this day what happened to them. Here's what they didn't know. They didn't know that just around the next bend, the water became smooth and they were out of their troubles. I'll never forget that little story because there's a great spiritual application in there. Just a minute ago, I said, a few minutes ago, I said, Jesus is coming again and y'all got excited. Y'all like started cheering and clapping like you want it. And I agree with you. So I remind you now, because he is coming again, it's not time to run from his chastening hand. It's not time to run in times of affliction, but it's time to let those things in our life make us stronger so that we can endure to the end and be faithful to our Lord. How many of you believe that that's a good plan? Huh? Wouldn't it be just like God to give us the plan? Let's pray together.